Hi there, it's Carlos Virgen, digital news director at The Day and host slash producer of The Storyline. Just wanted to let you know that we're working on reviving The Storyline podcast, so look for a new episode in the coming weeks. In the meantime, I present a recent roundtable discussion I had with reporters and producers of Case Unsolved, a podcast series I also host and produce that explores the stories behind three unsolved murders that happened in southeastern Connecticut. Find Case Unsolved in your favorite podcast app and check out our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Case Unsolved. I thought we'd start off um, by talking about kind of the process, um, what we learned uh, during the reporting and production of the podcast and how maybe, especially for the reporters, how you think um, or what your experience was as far as the difference in reporting for audio versus uh, when you're writing a story. Um, you know, any insights that you guys learned, any kind of, or frustrations that you guys experience, um, if you guys want to go around, and it doesn't have to be in order, so anybody can jump in at any point. I would say, for one thing, this was the longest that I'd spent working on one project, and one thing I think I learned from doing this was, and this is very different doing audio compared to writing for a bunch of different reasons, but one thing is, you know, a lot of people aren't going to take a while to just showing up and having a camera in their face and having really no idea kind of why you're there, what you're doing, what you want, and that sometimes you need to just take time to explain to people, this is what we're doing, this is our goal, uh, gain their trust, because that's a hard thing with people, whether you're just out in the community or if you want people to, to talk to you. That's interesting because we showed up as the day, a newspaper, and a couple of times we would show up with a, a, a an audio recorder and a microphone, which was all you know already kind of a little unsettling for some people. And then we had to explain to them what we were doing. We weren't just writing a story. We were producing a podcast, which then led to the question from some people, what what's a podcast, right? Anybody else experience that? Yeah, 100%. But, I mean, I would just say that it, everything about this is different than, than the average uh, print article that you're going to be working on, um, with the exception of one thing, but which we were just talking beforehand, uh, jog my memory. I got lucky because my case is much newer than the cases that Erica and, and Karen covered. So... I was still able to, to use the handy-dandy Facebook creeping to find some people that um, were familiar with Erica, and I was able to track them down on Facebook Messenger, which is um, definitely something that I do day-to-day. But aside from that, I think, you know, I, I wanted to write my whole episode, all three of them, and I've never written for audio at all, I've never written a podcast. So the idea of a narrative arc is different, right? Like you, when you're writing a newspaper article, you're going to want to th- pretty much throw everything out there in a first sentence or two, and you can't, you can't do that if you're writing for a podcast. Um, and I would say another thing, um, my master file probably was... I want to say 15 to 20,000 words of partially transcribed audio. So there's just the sheer amount of material to work with. I actually would go on bike rides and just run through in my head, how do I even organize this? Yeah, that definitely, the, the workload. I mean, we, I, I kind of suspected that it was going to be a, a really intensive process and a lot of work. And Peter obviously has experience producing video, so he obviously had that that kind of uh foresight about how long it was going to take but you know the the amount of audio that we were able to get that we were lucky enough to get 
was kind of almost a little overwhelming having to listen through it all. So that was for me one of the things I that shocked me. Karen, any any thoughts? Well, so to some extent, um, I just did what I usually do. You know, I looked um, when we decided which case I was going to cover. I looked into the archive, and then we went and we did knock on some doors. Um, Carlos, you came with me with the microphone. It wasn't that far out of the realm of my experience because I've had, I've certainly had photographers and videographers with me before. Um, and then, you know, conducted the interviews. Uh, they were, uh, they were recorded too. People were surprisingly comfortable, I thought, with, with the recordings. Yeah. Um, and then put together the story. So um, there were two things different about the way that we did the Desiree Mashad case. Um, I did not write a script for this and we kind of just conducted interviews ad-libbing and I thought that worked really well for me. We all have different reporting styles so um, you folks interviewed me and then and then we did re- recorded um, so that worked really well for me but the extraordinary thing was that I didn't just write the story and have it published, right? So um, we would go over what the material that we had, and you know, Tim Cotter listened to it, and would we discuss it? And then one day you said, "Hey, let's um, get somebody to um, let's bring in some actors to read some of these parts, right? Let's uh, have actors do the hypnotism of the witness to Desiree's right. murder." And that really just did kick it up a notch, you know, all the team input on it. Um, It was like not really one reporter, but a handful of reporters working on a story over a longer period of time. And I think the the product showed that. Yeah, getting those different perspectives, you know, listening to early cuts and then meeting together and and taking notes and kind of giving feedback uh, Tim managing the project what any anything that that stands out to you well I, I, Erica mentioned how long it took and, and I'm thinking now how labor-intensive it really was I mean every time a reporter went out generally you went with them so you're sending two people uh, not just one and then there's all that transcribing um, you know that Lindsay talked about so it, it took us a real long time it was just you know a lot of work a lot of uh, extra hours for everybody if these were print stories they would have been in the paper so much quicker mm-hmm. um, but we thought it was worth it in the end and and I think people who listened did too um, and, and the other point about the podcast I remember going back when we first started video and and Peter can probably remember this too but people would be like yeah you can interview me and you can take my picture but I do not want to be on video and we've kind of broken down that barrier where you don't hear that as often and now it was you know we're recording them and this word podcast I think scared a lot of people and so we had to break down that barrier Um, and I think Lindsay had one person who wouldn't go on you know who would have an interview via email but wouldn't be recorded so there was a little bit of that but it's just extra work for everybody to like like Erica said get their trust that yeah we're doing this story but we're doing it as an audio story and you know people kind of that makes people nervous but you have to kind of talk them off the ledge and and um, get them to do it yeah Peter do you have any any thoughts about that what what you kind of learned I mean you obviously had uh, the most experience as far as producing a a, a multimedia project 
Yeah, so I think that the process was pretty similar for me compared to the types of stories that I've done in the past. Um, it was, I'm used to working, like I think a lot of us are, mm. on my own or maybe collaborating with one other person. Um, and this was a real team effort. And so figuring out that that team workflow um, is part of what made things take longer. I think in the end, the product was better because we had a, a lot of different ideas and different input into it. And I think it'll help us going forward. And I, I agree with, with Tim's observation that people are, are, some people are wary subjects of stories, uh, being on video or, or being recorded. And I mean, we've on the one hand broken down, uh, some of that discomfort or unfamiliarity with the format. But I also think we live in a time now where people are so much more sensitive and aware of what, what it means to have their image or their voice go out over the internet to, to everybody. And that's almost a, a bigger barrier where in the past I, I come from a photography background. So there was a time where you said, Hey, I want to take your picture and put it in the paper. And everybody was super excited about that. And now people are wary about like, I think where their image or their voice or their video or their, or their, their name is going to end up. All right. Um, and some of, some of us have kind of alluded to that, that um, collabor collaborative uh, nature of the project. And, and you kind of alluded it to, to it a little bit, Peter, about like how we kind of figured out the roles um, on the fly, really. We didn't really discuss like, you know, Peter's going to do X and Y and I'm going to do the, this and that. Um, so it was really kind of organic the way that it developed. And um, I, I enjoyed that part, especially. And then the other part that I, I was really struck by and was I really liked was the trust that we had to have, especially, you know, not having done this together and not um, the reporters, especially giving up a lot of control over the, the kind of final product was 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 good. was an interesting experience. Um, anything you guys would do differently? next time and there for all intents and purposes there's will be a second season so we'll talk a, l a little bit more about that uh in a little while but anything we do different next well, time I mean, I mean i would say uh, technically i should start earlier i had a lot mm -hmm. of the materials um well before i actually went through and sat down and, yeah. and wrote the scripts a lot of the script writing happened at the very last minute um, so the, the ideal would be to start earlier, but I'm a journalist. So I work yeah. on deadline. I, I can't make any promises. Yeah, deadline. Yeah, I think I think that idea of deadlines and and having uh, mile you know mile markers or, or or a timeline where we check off things as we go. I think that would be helpful for sure. Yeah. I think with with uh, with Desiree, we we kind of whiteboarded the the yeah. the narrative arc that Lindsay was talking about. And maybe, and then we kind of drop that, yeah. and maybe that would be good for for all of them, because right. um, I think on some of them, um, we were still especially trying. Spicer. I, I think we ended up on the fly moving stuff. Yeah. Like maybe that's better in the second part. Maybe yeah. that's you know where if we had maybe, but it was also organic because the reporting was happening. You right. know, at, at the Spice, same time, right. yeah, as Spice everything is else. Spice a good example because yeah. we, we, we discovered new details about the right. the case uh, while we were reporting, while we were editing and recording. So, yeah. But I mean, I, from the Spicer case we went to, we almost didn't do it because we didn't have enough mm -hmm. to, you know, we had a lot, you know. So mm -hmm. it was really, 
there wasn't much we could do about that. Yeah, but but on the other hand, having that um, baseline of a of a outline to really kind of sketch the arc, I think, is helpful. And I think that's something I've thought more about as I've listened to other podcasts. Yeah. That again, with the medium, unlike with a new with a you know kind of relatively short news article, you want to just start with you know yeah. here's the summary, here's what happened, um, and get the most important stuff at the top. Here it's to to keep people listening, to draw people in. Right. Obviously. Everyone, know, the basic premise is this person was murdered. We don't know who did it. So you have that, but also to kind of step back for a bit and build up back to that. And it's made me think a lot more about narrative arcs. And when I listen to other podcasts, you can hear sometimes how great it is that they start with the premise and then say, wait, let's go way back and build up to how we got to this point. Anybody else? You know, one of the things that I kept saying to all of us, I think, while we were doing it is that people are going to be more willing to talk to us once they see how respectfully we're treating the right. subject matter. And that's a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from people is that you were so very respectful. Um, so I just w would try to remember to keep our principles, our reporting right. principles, um, as we do this, as eager as right. we are. You know, Which is interesting because we, we're all, many of us are podcast fans and, and some of the podcasts that delve in this kind of uh, type, this subject matter, aren't necessarily journalistic. They don't come from a journalism background, so they, they take different angles, approaches, which we kind of had discussions throughout the process to make sure that, yes, we've, we're producing a podcast, but we're also the day newspaper. Well, that, that whole idea of bringing in actors to reenact something, right. that's I mean, obviously that's not something we would do in a, it, it wouldn't happen in a print setting, but in terms of our journalistic standards, we talked about that and wanted to be very transparent about it because it would be, it would be very easy to not be transparent about that and then have someone listen and, and maybe not, maybe misunderstand and think they were hearing the actual recording and not a, a reenactment. Um, Erica, going back to what you were talking about, listening to a new podcast, has the experience changed the way that you listen to podcasts? Are you listening to specific? For me, uh, is it's like the editing and the pacing and the music and and the layering of audio, which you know, tip in the past, what didn't stand out to me as much, um, but now I think I find myself picking out some of those details more than than before. I think I'm listening more into all of the different avenues that people will go down especially I know just in, in our discussions amongst ourselves I talk all the time about in the dark with season two it is such an exhaustive podcast in terms of getting into everything and sometimes you know with podcasts we're obviously thinking first and foremost about the interviews um, and having those you know one-on-one -on -one conversations with people but even beyond that with our own reporting what can we find through you know judicial records and probate records and land records and there's just depending on the person so much out there that you can look into and you can end up down some rabbit holes which sometimes might be nothing and sometimes mm -hmm. could be really interesting and we spent time in some looking yes. at some records yes. that we eventually didn't really use um, for various reasons but yeah yeah. Go ahead. Go for it. Well, for me, you know, like a lot of people, Serial was my, my first podcast. And I, I you know, I, we listen or read everything as journalists, but it was so good. I, you just get caught up in it and you kind of listen to it just, you know, 
as as a normal person or whatever average person but now i tend to listen to them as a journalist and editor thinking you know how did they find that person mm -hmm. how did they get that interview how did they get that ambient sound so that would be the change for me yeah, yeah i mean it's 100 percent different for me now honestly um i i love these guys will be sick of hearing it but i love ear hustle um that's a po podcast i listen to frequently and um you know, it, it's for me, one of the things that was hard when I was writing my script was figuring out how to introduce new people or reintroduce people without just saying their name over and over again. And so I'm listening about like, you know, a lot into the different ways that the podcast transitioned from person to person, that they introduce new material, new ideas, new people. So that's one thing that, that I definitely find myself noticing more. And, and also the ambient noise for sure. And yeah. that there was a, a, a jail cell door closed right. in an episode I listened to this morning. And I noticed that maybe I wouldn't have before. That uh, that's probably another thing that I, uh, that Peter and I have discussed uh, at, since we finished this series is how to better plan on on collecting some of that ambient noise going to the street where the person lived, you know, going to a park, that kind of stuff, which we did a little bit of, um, but but I think moving forward we're definitely gonna that'll be part of that sketch where here's the the characters, here's the the available material and here's the possible audio. Um, Peter, any 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 feedback on on listening to podcasts differently? You're you're obviously a big podcast person. So I listen a lot differently now to the way they write. So there's that was my area of least expertise. Right. I come from a photography and video background and then editing. So the the recording and the editing and, and the the natural sound is all in my wheelhouse, yeah. but the writing portion of it isn't. So I, yeah, I, I have a much greater appreciation for the podcasts that do it really well. And so I'm always listening like, okay, did they script this? Was this, right. uh, was this just off the cuff? Mm -hmm. Like, did this, is this conversation between the two hosts or reporters? Is that something that they planned out beat for beat or word for word? Or are they just that good that they can just, sit down and do it and I mean I don't know the answer to that a lot of the time um so let's um, let's go back to so season one we ha covered the three cases uh the Mashad case the Sirioni the Spicer case um and and since we finished the series we, we published a couple of updated pot uh episodes uh, a answering some questions from listeners any updates that, that we can talk about? Um, we recently went out to talk to uh, Detective Sergeant uh, Heather Beauchamp at the Groton Town Police. Um, do you guys want to share, Erica? And uh, uh, Yeah, so Detective Sergeant Beauchamp, uh, she had just been uh, promoted like right. the, the day before, so it was an interesting time to be sitting down with her. She said uh, they did actually receive a tip which came in through the Eastern District Major so for the Spicer case. For the Spicer case, case right. yes. We did receive a tip, I guess we would call it, on um, Spicer, which came in through Eastern District Major Crime. So we are currently following up on that. Um, besides just telling you that we have received a tip, right now we have not investigated enough to tell you what the tip involves. But hopefully, you know, as we progress with this, we'll have more information. So we're basically in the early stages of this current tip. 
on the Spicer case. Has that tip taken you outside of Groton or outside of Connecticut? No, no. And it is it does involve um, a name that has been brought up in the case before. Um, so elaborating on whether that person was a potential suspect or not, he was never a strong enough suspect clearly for any type of arrest, but the name has is is familiar with us with the investigation. And so she said that tip didn't take them outside of, of Groton or Connecticut. Uh, they're still in the early stages of uh, investigating that tip, so there was nothing else she could really say in terms of what the tip involved. Right. Or But, but uh, she did say that it does involve a name that has been brought up in the case before, but that he was never a strong enough suspect for any type of arrest, but that the name is, is familiar with them. And another interesting thing was that they were doing some kind of reorganization within the department. So they've merged the detective division with the investigative division. Uh, and investigator uh, Lauren Fippinger has been kind of delving, uh, diving deep into the the, um, the, the Spicer yeah. homicide. And so this is all kind of part of, and this is something that Detective Sergeant Beauchamp has talked to us a lot about before in terms of, over the past 23 years, people coming in, getting fresh eyes on the case. So um, Investigator Fippinger uh, was a patrol officer, then a youth officer, mostly is focused on juvenile crimes, but also human trafficking, internet crimes, and now she's looking into the, the Spicer files as well. And then another thing uh, that Detective Sergeant Beauchamp told us was that uh, the lab said they could do further testing with smaller amounts of DNA, and that is a struggle a lot of times with cold cases. The samples have degraded, but now you can they can use less of a sample to, to get a profile. So the technology, the science has improved, right? Because she did, in, in reporting the Spicer case and a couple of the, the cases that she uh, was interviewed for, um, you know, they talked about how, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever, they, they kept the evidence in a different way than they would now they've they've learned so that, that's a good update a, a good um a good thing so maybe updates hopefully in the coming months so unfortunately um detective sergeant beauchamp did not receive any new tips on the desiree michaud case uh she did clear up something with us that we've been that came up quite a bit mm -hmm. um regarding desiree's property and her paintings um she said uh, that she had been through um, a disc, uh, you know, that they made uh, when they re, um, reinvestigated the case. They, they digitized everything, put it on disc, and there really were none of Desiree's paintings or none of her arts on there. She said there still is some of her property, um, which, her, which Desiree's family I think is under the impression that it's a large amount of, of paintings and property, but um, Detective Sergeant Beauchamp said it would all fit into a duffel bag. Mm -hmm. um, so I still have continued to sort of ask her like what's in that duffel bag, but she um, hasn't actually gone and physically looked at it yet, and but doesn't seem to think it's anything of significance that, um, that we'd even really be interested in. Um, any feedback that we've heard from family members or friends or or any kind of uh, encounters you've had with people that, that have said, hey, the podcast? Anybody? 
I'll take a pass at both yeah. of those. Um, yeah, just for the record. So my case obviously was out of Norwich, so I was not dealing with the same detective sergeant that these two were. Um, I did reach out to Lieutenant Christopher Conley last week. Um, unfortunately, same thing. Uh, no new, no new tips in the case. But um, from what we understand, there are very few people who would have this information. So. It really just depends on someone having a change of heart, I think. Um, as far as feedback, I got all kinds of feedback. Um, I think probably my favorite feedback came from uh, an immigration lawyer who's also a friend of mine. And, and he listened to the first episode and he was like, y you don't sound like you sound, uh, when I hear you talking in a coffee shop or in a bar, right, you, you sound a little different and maybe you would do better to sound more like yourself. So I, I tried to take that feedback and, and turn it around in, in episodes two and three. And I think I think he was right. I think it did sound better. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, honestly, I was visiting Seattle and Oregon um, over the summer and some people in Oregon had listened to my podcast, obviously friends of right. friends of my partner, but still, you know, I was at my gym in Hamden the other day and people came up and they were like, hey, you guys did such a good job. Like, it's so much more professional than we thought it would be. And I'm like, you know, my, like, you know, my name. How did you even know to listen to this? <laughs> so um, it's been it's been a really interesting um, experience in, in the family, too. Um, I, I worked really closely with the nephew, Jay, um, the whole time. Um, and, and when he did give me feedback, he said it was so hard for him to listen but he thinks I did a fair portrayal and that's, you know, that's what that's we, great. that's what we were striving for. So. Um, you've, I mean, we've, you've got, you've been at, we've been asked for advice. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 You know, I mean, other, other newspapers in New England, I, th you know, I think we're a little bit ahead of the curve and, um, Pete is going to sit on a, 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 an upcoming panel, um, on podcasting and and um, yeah, so people are aware in the industry of what we did and and are interested in it. And I I think again that labor intensity is it's what holds people back because it takes uh, people and and time and, and equipment. I mean we've we've invested um, in equipment. Um, you know when I when I think of the three cases, I, I'm kind of not surprised that that there hasn't been tips on Desiree because. That so was just one of those cases. It's old, and you know when you talk about DNA because she was a prostitute. Um, the other two, though, you know, seem kind of solvable when you think about it. And and you know, on Spicer, uh, as as we reported, and we hadn't reported previously, so this was new information. Um, you know, the scene was not secured right away. They had to exhume the body. You know, a few weeks later, or whatever. So, so you don't know, but you wonder if things were done differently. I think the expert that you talked to um, on unsolved cases talked about the first forty-eight hours and how right. important that is. And in that case, uh, I think some of those forty-eight hours were probably wasted. And then in the Sirioni one, um, there was no murder scene. So. Right, and also, uh, you know, I, I think um, Lindsay even covered ten years later. They they went to an apartment right. in Norwich. Right. Now, if somebody had given them that address right away, right. you know, yeah. what would have happened? But instead, it was ten years later, and you know, you know, what are you right. going to find? You know, yeah. so on those two, you just think, God, if, th if things to... broke a little differently, maybe they right. they solved those cases and it seems like definitely some it, it's going to rely on somebody step coming forward and saying right this I know this, this and that yeah, yeah.
um, next season. We've kind of started conversations about doing a season, a second season in our Facebook group. Um, if you're, you're not aware, uh, we started a Facebook group, uh, and you're more than welcome to join at facebook.com uh, slash groups slash Case Unsolved. Um, we asked people, we kind of threw out the, f- the fact that we were thinking of doing a, a second season, and even while we were producing the series, people were throwing out names of cases that they thought we should look into, uh, and some of those would take us outside of our immediate region. Any, anything that we could share, Tim? Anybody? Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Karen. So there's a case out of Madison of a woman named Barbara Hamburg um, who died, I think it was eight years ago. And I think there might be um, a lot of interesting aspects to that case. She was involved in this, um, I don't want to call it a scheme, but it was a, let's call it a program called the Gifting Tables um, with other women where they were, it was almost like a pyramid where they were trying to make money. Um, and so there was a prosecution of a lot of people in that case, which we might be able to look into. Um, but also, uh, on the day that she was uh, killed, she was due in court for a divorce. Um, so there's some interesting aspects of that. I have another case that I've followed for a long time. It's um, the disappearance of April Dawn Pennington out of Montville. Um, so somebody. George Leniart has been convicted of killing her, but her body has never been found. Mm. So I wonder if there's some interest in that. Right. Um, Leniart is serving life without parole, but his case is before the Supreme Court right now and might have some traction. Um, so that yeah. case is interesting to me as well. Um, I'd love to hear what our listeners think of either one of those yeah. ideas or any other ideas. Right. One, one thing I'd also be interested in hearing um, from listeners is kind of what they thought about the format of, of the, you know, the three cases over the one season that we all kind of, while we did w- end up working together a lot, we also, you know, kind of individually were looking at the cases. And I know sometimes with other podcasts, f- for the most part, you're seeing a whole season dedicated to one case or one story, and then you have the lead reporter, but maybe also this other reporter or two and their fact checker Mm -hmm. and their researcher. And so I'd be curious if people like having three cases or if we would consider doing a season with just one case and just pooling all of our resources and doing something even more expansive with one case. Um, So you could also either leave a comment here on the Facebook Live uh, video or email us at caseunsolvedattheday.com. Lindsay, any? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned April because that actually came up in my coverage of Erica Sirioni. Right. Um, they were they were very frustrated because they didn't know whether Norwich police had ever considered George for her. Um, and I thought that was interesting because um, uh, I believe the time frame was similar. I don't know for sure, so don't quote me on that. But, um, no, you know, I have a couple ideas. I'm going to keep them hidden up my sleeve until yeah. I reach out to some family so, members. Right. So we're, we're still at the very early stages of, of having these discussions about um, what cases, who would be involved. Um, so early reporting, early research maybe, right? Um, uh, Erica, you, I think you were looking at something too early. Yeah, and that's yeah. something I'm not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not quite not, sure yet where things are. Share. But I mean, well, we, we have had though people, also just what's interested me, people in the, the Facebook group say, oh, this person was right. a family friend right. or I knew this person. And so that's something to consider, too, if people are already saying, hey, can you do a case on this person? You know, when, when we or came up with the idea, Karen got a list from the uh, 
uh, unsolved uh, task force, cold case task force, right. which, as we reported, has been disbanded because of budgets. Um, so that's where we kind of started with, and, and that's where we got these three cases. But, um, you know, obviously we're willing to go beyond that list. But, um, you know, I, I think that adds to the public service that we're providing, that this cold case unit doesn't exist anymore. And so we're the ones kind of saying, hey, you know, right. let's think about these cases. Right, and, reviving interest in yeah. them in the hope that somebody, you know, might remember something, somebody's conscience might be poked, yeah. Right. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, Case and Solve Pod is our Twitter handle. Um, the Facebook group, again, is facebook.com slash groups slash Case Unsolved. Um, and we've, we'll, we'll be on there posting any updates about uh, the coming season. Um, thank you for joining us.